0: Reading is Mark chapter 2, reading from verse 23 to 28, and then for chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. So, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never heard, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into a synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. Then he looked around at them in anger and said, and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Pray the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So if you'd like to turn back in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We're continuing in our series. And those of you who were here last week will recall that when Luke spoke on this passage last Sunday morning, he talked about the various kinds of why questions, the why questions. There are three types. The curious why, the accusatory why, and the tempting why. And in the passage last week, it was the first of these, the curious why. But today's passage, we have the next why, the accusatory why. As we read in verse 23, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? The whole of chapter 2 has been a period where the religious authorities are following Jesus about, trying to work out who he is, how much of a threat he is to their comfortable way of life, their privileged life, their privileged position in society, and how they might try and catch him out. Chapter 2, verse 7 says this. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's when Jesus forgiven a man and healed him. Then in verse sixteen, when the teachers of the law saw, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, "Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners?" And then again in verse eighteen, "How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not?" And every time Jesus shuts down their argument, he has the precise answer in each case. It's a bit like. Agatha Christie's hero the Belgian detective Hercule Poirot every mystery some of you may have seen these programmes or read the books every mystery always comes down at the end to the flabbergasted squirms and denials of the criminal protagonist but Poirot delivers a punchline a piece of evidence that is always undeniable and irrefutable and the evidence the punchline that Jesus always uses always delivers are from The Bible, the very living Word of God, the irrefutable evidence. And we'll see this morning that this is true also of the questions that are asked of him. Mm -hmm. So perhaps after the nine months or so that Jesus spent in Judea, before he came up to uh, Galilee to preach and teach again, the high priest maybe dispatched a couple of agents, a couple of Pharisees, to follow him around and watch him. And that's why we're getting all these Mm -hmm. why questions as they go around following him, questioning him, challenging him. They're already building their case against Jesus or trying to. And every time Jesus has the answer, the evidence, and it's based in the Jews' own scriptures. Scriptures that they're too blind to see. So we're going to look at these verses today. The passage entitled, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And then to prove the point, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And it begins that narrative in verse 23. And then we've got the challenge from the Pharisees in verse 24. Then the response of Jesus in verse 25 and 26. Then we come to those devastating statements in verses 27 and 28 that really close down the discussion. Then he goes on to prove the point with that miraculous healing on the Sabbath. So I've got a few short headings for you, for those who like headings. First of all, number one, what are they doing? Number two, what are they saying? Number three, who's right and who's wrong? And number four, what is Jesus saying? <clears throat> so, to begin with, the first then, what are they saying? We read again in verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus is going through the grain fields, and his disciples, as they walked along, his disciples, they picked, they began to pick some heads of grain. How many of you have ever done that? There's a few cornfields around this area. See, Tim's done it. Yeah, been out on a warm summer's afternoon in the countryside, passing along the edge of a field maybe, and just picked a few of the grains. Um, There's nothing more like a healthy, nutritious cereal for breakfast than the cereal picked straight out of the field. Very nice, eh? But um, the parallel passage... In Luke's gospel, in Luke 6, says this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and to eat the kernels. It's quite instinctive, actually, if you've ever picked um, grains of corn or wheat to rub them and to get little stalky bits off the outside. They warm it up in your hands as well and then you can eat them. They might get stuck in your teeth a little bit, though. It doesn't sound... Or, or does it sound to you like they're doing anything wrong? Does it sound like something sinful to be doing? Do you think the farmer would mind if they were just passing, taking a shortcut through the field, and would pick a few grains on the way? Would he notice? Well, actually, he wouldn't mind. It was—it was actually allowed in the Old Testament. If you look at the scriptures in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25 says this. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, that's exactly what they were doing, you may pick the kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. So you can pick off a few grains, but you're obviously not going to go in there with a a sickle and harvest it. That would be stealing. So it was in the law of Moses. Surely it's okay. But the key thing about this passage is they were doing it on the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath day. Now, I'm going to Israel uh, late afternoon this evening, and a bit later, Michelle will be driving me up to the airport and going uh, on a flight to Tel Aviv. Now, if there's one thing I've learned from doing business with people in Israel, it's this. Don't expect any answers to any emails or phone calls on a Friday or a Saturday, but expect to come into work on a Monday with an inbox full of emails. You see... Still today, the Sabbath day, the Saturdays, where we get the name Sabbath Saturday, it's linked to Sabbath day, is still their day off in Israel. They have Friday off too, so they have two days off in the week, just like we do. So it's their Sunday, if you like. But for us, our Sunday is the first day of the week. For us, the first day of the week is memorable because it's the day of the resurrection, it's that after the Passover festival it is the day the Lord rose we call it the Lord's day because he rose on the first day of the week and traditionally because of that we have Sunday off before modern times it was the only day off you'd have had from work nowadays we have Saturdays off too unless you work at a shop of course or in emergency services as some of you do or in other kind of shift role a role that involves doing shift work but where does the Sabbath day come from? To find the answer, we have to go way back to the beginning of time, right back to Genesis, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2 of Genesis, we read this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all his work of creating things that he had done. He rested. God rested on the seventh day. He made that day holy. What were the disciples being accused of? Of working, gleaning or harvesting on the Sabbath day. Yes, it is quite ridiculous, isn't it, to think you could walk through a field and pick a few grains and that would be constituted as harvesting, gleaning from the fields. See, this is what the attitude of the Pharisees was. You must not work, you must not do this, you must not do that, you must do not anything that remotely looks like work. What else does the scripture say about the Sabbath day? Exodus 23, verse 12 says, Six days you do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox or your donkey may rest, and so that your slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. And also in Exodus 34, Six days you shall labour, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the ploughing season and harvest you must rest. And this was obviously the harvest season. The disciples were going through the fields. There so is there it is, the commandment that you should not harvest on the Sabbath day. I bet the Pharisees were pretty excited when they saw the disciples doing this. They thought, ah, right, we've really got him now. We've really got him on this one. He can't deny this. But the primary reason, as we saw in the passage from Genesis, is because God made it holy. God made the Sabbath day holy. That's really what it's about. And again in Exodus chapter 20 we read, uh, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals. See how it's not just about caring about the Jews. It's about the people around them, their livestock. their slaves. Nor any animals, or any foreigner residing in your towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, he says, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It is an opportunity to rest because God knows we need rest. But also, he made it holy. It's an opportunity to spend time with him. So, look at our second heading. What are they saying? What are they saying? They're saying that by picking a few grains, snacks by the road, maybe, you are working and you're not keeping that day holy. But these people are with Jesus. They're walking through the fields with Jesus. How much more holy can you get than by spending time in the company of the Lord Jesus Christ, spending the day with him? You can make tomorrow holy if you take a day off work and maybe spend it in the company of Jesus through reading the Bible reading his word, meditating on it and praying. These men are out for a Sabbath day's walk with the Messiah, the living, breathing saviour. Perhaps they're out walking to a meeting or perhaps taking a shortcut through the fields, the synagogue. Today is the first day of the week. It's Sunday and perhaps some of you walked to church. What if it was August and you came down the lane and you stopped to pick a few blackberries from those bramble bushes up the end there? Is the law going to condemn you for that? Of course not. He wants you to make the day holy. Not tie you down with or condemn you with restrictions and laws and rules and regulations. See the Pharisees have stooped so low in their regulatory control. Their grip on the people. They couldn't see the requirement for holiness. They couldn't see that the Messiah was in their midst. They could only see the laws and rules that must be obeyed and the punishments when they're not. And in their hearts, they were not looking to find out who Jesus was. They were just looking for opportunities to condemn him. If we jump forward into the next chapter in our section today's reading, chapter 3, where Jesus has healed a man on the Sabbath day, we read... Some of them were looking, in verse 2, some of them were looking for reasons to accuse Jesus. See, they'd already made their minds up. They were just looking for the reasons. They were just looking for the evidence they wanted to be able to accuse him. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus knew this, didn't he? So he said to the man with his shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Maybe he's not actually healed him yet. He's just got him to stand up because he knows what he's going to do. Then Jesus asked him, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Isn't that tragic? I'm really struck by this. Jesus is angry at their stubborn hearts, yet deeply distressed. Do we have stubborn hearts sometimes? Do you have a stubborn heart? Or do you have a heart that's seeking holiness? Do you look at the Sabbath, our Sunday, if you like, our first day of the week, the day the Lord has made? Do you look at our Sunday, the day set aside to be holy, a holy day, to worship him, to praise him, to spend time with him, to be in fellowship and to pray? Or do you feel stubborn about it sometimes? That perhaps you'd rather be doing something else. Doing your own thing, maybe. Or that perhaps having been to church for the morning service, you feel that you've done enough and now in the afternoon you can do your own thing. You don't need to come to the evening meeting, you kind of tick that box, done church on a Sunday morning. Or do you stand on the belief that perhaps you should not work on a Sunday or go shopping on a Sunday, that it should be really, really religious? All of us may have a cross-section of opinions on the Sunday, on the different things, but should we judge others? Jesus is deeply distressed. It must have shown on his face, because he is our Father in heaven with him. He is part of the triune God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and not willing that anyone should perish, that all should come to eternal life through him. Deeply distressed. He's distressed. For all they want, looking around at that crowd, look at the Pharisees, they just want to kill him. They just want a reason to kill him. So he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. What happens next? Verse 6. There's no rejoicing or amazement. It says, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus No wonder he's deeply distressed and angered because he sees what's in their hearts. They were not looking for salvation, but a chance to condemn the living son of God. So my third heading then, who's right and who's wrong? Look again at how he answers their accusations in verse 25. He answered, have you never read what David did? When he and his companions were hungry and in need, in the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some of his companions. Now, before we look at that episode in David's life, what that's being referred to there, let me just explain briefly about the consecrated bread. In Leviticus chapter 24, Moses wrote down the instructions for the bread offering in the tabernacle saying this arrange them in two stacks this is loaves of bread two stacks six in each stack on the table of pure gold before the Lord by each stack put some pure incense as a memorial portion to represent the bread and to be a food offering presented to the Lord this bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly Sabbath after Sabbath on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant it belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in the sanctuary area, because it is a most holy part of the perpetual share of the food offerings presented to the Lord. So the bread is there, it's in the holy temple. It's a food offering. But it isn't left there to rot on that table. It is eaten by the priests. How else would they survive? The priests cannot go out and sow and reap and work in the fields. They are relying on the on the gift offerings. So they're, they're there to serve the Lord in the temple. So that's the background. And then we have David and his men coming to Nob in 1 Samuel chapter 21. We read this. David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest saying, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? He was hungry. What do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there are some of the consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today, he says. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that has been removed from before the Lord and replaced by the hot bread on the day it was taken away. So he took the holy bread. That bread had been on the the table, the bread of prejudice, had been removed and replaced, but the priest gave it to David. More than that, however, the priest gave David the holy bread because the men were considered holy. They were ritually clean. In the parallel passage to Mark's passage we're looking at today, in Matthew's Gospel, we read that Jesus also said to them, in Matthew chapter 12. Or have you, haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? In other words, they're sinners, but they're counted clean. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. So in summary, if, if David can break a minor law in order to meet human needs, his need for food, the the needs of his men, particularly his men being holy, how much more can Jesus, the one who's greater than the temple, he's greater than the temple, the law and the prophets, also break that minor law to meet a human need. People need healing on the Sabbath. They need to hear the gospel on the Sabbath, just as on any day. Again, in Matthew's account, we've got that additional text. He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So, what is Jesus saying? This is my fourth heading. What is Jesus saying? In reply to the question about the picking of the grains, he's shown that human needs take priority over those minor laws. In the passage where he heals the man with a shriveled arm, he has demonstrated that human needs take priority over the laws. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. But the word holy still comes into it. The Sabbath is still holy. Verse 27, then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So this holy day was given to them to rest. It was for their purposes. Not to be enslaved under. It was to serve them. They were not to serve it. They're not there to serve the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is there to serve and provide for them. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath You see, Jesus came to set us free from rules, set us free from the laws that say you must do this and you must not do that. I think it it might be a common misconception among non-believers, among Christianity. One of the few things that people who don't come to church or don't read the Bible may say to you is that one of the few things they'll know about the Bible is the Ten Commandments. They'll focus on those, thou shalt not, and thou shalt not do this, and not do that. And they'll say, well, okay, I enjoy my life. I want to be able to do those things. But Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, says this in Colossians 2, verses 16, the passage entitled, Freedom from Human Rules. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. There it is. Do not let anyone judge you. And in the same way, we should not be a stumbling block to others for others by what we believe. We are saved by grace alone, that free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. And the second thing Jesus said to them is, so the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath was made for man by command of God's word. Way back, we go back to Genesis again, where we read earlier in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because on, the day, on that day he rested from all his work of creating all that he had done. Then Jesus was there. Jesus was there when it was made, when that seventh day was made. John chapter 1 says this, in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God, Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made, including the sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He was there at the dawn of time when it was instituted, when it was inaugurated. Of course he can heal on the Sabbath if he wishes to. Of course his people can glean on the Sabbath. Because now he has fulfilled all the scriptures. He's died and he's risen again. And he sits at the right hand of God in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know what you did yesterday, on Saturday, the the Sabbath day. Perhaps you're out enjoying some of this beautiful, lovely sunshine, having a walk somewhere. Or perhaps you're doing some early Christmas shopping, going around the town centre. It doesn't matter because the Sabbath day has been fulfilled. And now we have the new covenant written in the blood of Jesus, written in his blood. Now we meet on the first day of the week. Because Jesus rose on the first day of the week. He appeared to the disciples on the first day of the week. He met with them in the morning on the first day of the week. And again in the evening. And so today we follow that model. We meet with him here in the morning. And again here in the evening. But when you leave here. After you've had a cup of tea and a biscuit. And a a good chat with somebody. And um, when you go out. Just look around you as you go home. Note the... Hundreds, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people out there. The supermarket car parks will be full. The car park of Virginia Water or the Lookout will be full of dog walkers and cyclists and joggers and runners. The new town centre car parks. You can bet they're heaving with people, lapping up the wine of the world and feasting on the commercial fodder of worldly goods. And yes, we need some of these things, but most of all, They need to know the salvation love of Jesus. They need to hear about Jesus. They're all dead men walking. We were all dead men walking once. All on that wide road to destruction. And maybe without a clue why Sunday is special. And not just another day off work to go and do what you like. So what are we to do? We need to spread the word, as we, as we heard in Mark's testimony this morning, we need to sow the gospel so that there might be a harvest of righteousness. So, yes, there will be souls gleaned on the Sabbath, and yes, there may be souls healed on the Sabbath day. People might come in and feel that healing love of the Lord Jesus Christ. These walls may resound to the sound of worship and singing and prayer. People praising Him, worshiping the only true God, our Savior. Jesus Christ how will they know if we don't tell them how would Mark have known if Elaine hadn't told them so in conclusion is it right or wrong to go shopping on a Sunday after church to get some food in for the week perhaps on the way home is it right or wrong to work on a Sunday or to do some gardening or trim the bushes or something I would say it doesn't matter And no one should judge another by how they spend their time on Sunday, as long as the first thing in your life on a Sunday is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes, do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Do not give up meeting together on the Lord's Day, enjoying fellowship, worship, prayer, songs. You may do some things for yourself, but first, rest In the Lord, the Lord has provided this day rest, make it holy. If we go right back to the prophet Isaiah, we find this written down. Isaiah 58 verses 13 to 14, he writes this. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath day a delight and the Lord's Lord's holy day honourable, Do we delight in the Sunday morning worship? Do we treat it with honour? Do we desire to come to church on a Sunday morning, look forward to coming back in the evening, to hearing the word expounded and explained? He goes on, verse 13, and if you honour it by not doing your own way, not going your own way, and not doing as you please, or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. You will find your joy in the Lord. Do you not want to know that joy, that pure joy from the living Saviour? And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. Yes, my friends, that inheritance, the inheritance which is eternal life in heaven. Not because of the good things we have done, but because of that good and great and wonderful thing he has done in dying on the cross, giving his own life as an atonement for our sin. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen.